Hi there. Welcome to Shrink Chat. This is the companion show to our main podcast, Terror Talk. My name is Shannon, and I'm joined every week by my friend, Kathy. On this show, we talk about psychology and media and whatever else comes up. It's a bit looser. So hang out and welcome to Shrink Chat. Hi, everybody. This is Shrink Chat with Shannon uh, and Kathy. Cool. Yeah. I'm well, here. Glad I'm not alone in this. <laughs> Do you feel alone? I felt a little alone for just like a nanosecond. Like a, yeah. We're coming up on the end of January almost. Holy God. Right. And the Sundance Film Festival. Oh, gosh. So much work to be done. All right. So we're starting with Zitrivia. Okay. All right. I'm actually really curious if... Yes, ma'am. Not the... the, the I'm going to give the answer to... Last week, but I'm curious if you'll know the answer to this week's. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I don't hold a lot of like esteem in my ability to keep track of facts. <laughs> well, I'll okay. hold it for All you. Right, we'll see. Okay, so this was um, to either be posted on the Rosemary's Baby picture on Instagram or you know our other methods. So the question was, who was the first choice for Guy Woodhouse? who played Rosemary's husband in the 1968 film Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. And how is the movie Rosemary's Baby connected to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Ah, complicated. <clears throat> so the first um, answer is Robert Redford ah. was actually supposed to play the husband. And then the the answer to the other piece is Roman Polanski was the director of Rosemary's Baby and sort of a pivotal character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah. And in well, the story the, in general. There's the connection. Fantastic. That's excellent. And as a reminder, we're storing up all the winners of each trivia of the week, and we'll announce them uh, next week's Shrink Chat Show. Yep, exactly. Cool. Uh, your new So my question. new one. Mm-hmm. When he was 17, director mm-hmm. James Wan was scared by something very true that sparked the idea for the movie saw what was it so there's something that he either came across or saw or witnessed or it happened to him or something that inspired the movie for saw okay um and then if you're really really wanting to be creative with this answer um there's a there's two parts to this answer which would be how was Jigsaw um, mm-hmm. influenced in this, along the same lines, like within this story? How There's was a, Saw influenced, and then where did Jigsaw come from because of what happened to him? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. It's kind of, <laughs> it's actually, this is one of my favorite questions I've found. It's your favorite one? It's so just far. wait till you hear the answer. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. You need to tell me now. Okay, you ready? Just no. kidding. <laughs> Maybe I can get she her. She hits to, mute. Maybe I can get her to do it. <laughs> Come on, tell me. All right. Well, that should be interesting. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Real quick, this is Shannon. I'm interrupting the show because we realized after we recorded it that Kathy accidentally forgot to give you the Instagram post that she wants you to answer this week's uh, trivia question under. So please go to our Instagram. And answer this question about Jigsaw and the Saw movie under the Jigsaw post. And I will give you a quick tip 
that it's a very old Instagram post. So you're going to have to scroll way down, find that post, answer the question. Even if it's wrong, it doesn't matter. We totally just want you to participate. And I know Kathy's really excited about the answer to this one. So let us know. Back to the show. I uh, I wanted to mention I had a little news item here that's entertainment centered. So um, they're going to do a Chucky TV series. No, they're not. Yes, yes. The Sci-Fi Channel. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, Calmed, they are. Relax. There's, yeah. Relax. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Chucky TV series ordered by Sci-Fi. Okay. Um, yeah. It's a straight-to-series order uh, revolving around the character at the center of the horror slasher child's play film series, the red haired freckle faced doll. <laughs> Good guy doll. Possessed by the soul of notorious seri- serial killer Charles Lee Ray. I think you're saying notorious B.I.G. <laughs> like that's uh, a twist in the story. Uh, that's a twist. No. Some guy with three names, Charles Lee Ray. A lot of people may not even know that that was the original. Cause yeah, the original, I remember that. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, the original Child's Play, that was the OG story. Wasn't it Mark Hamill, too, who was his voice? <laughs> yeah. Luke Skywalker? Yeah. That's weird, because he's such a hero to me. It's like the later Chucky's kind of, like, left all that behind and yeah, pretty much never... No, he, it was his curse. <laughs> distorted. Yeah, that was the original curse. Now, I know that a lot of the movies haven't, you know... Haven't been as brilliant. (laughs) I haven't used that part of the story, but it was a good movie in the beginning. Yeah, they've got their producers and um, that kind of thing set up. I mean, we'll see. (laughs) In the new Chucky television series, after a vintage Chucky doll turns up at a suburban yard sale, because he's always turning up by himself, an idyllic American town is thrown into chaos as a series of horrifying murders begin to expose the town's hypocrisies and secrets. Meanwhile, the arrival of enemies and allies from mm. Chucky's past threatens to expose should the be truth. A, should be a cartoon. <laughs> expose the truth behind the killings. Like on Adult Swim. <laughs> as well as the demon doll's untold origins as a seemingly ordinary child who somehow became... See, this is not going to make it past the pilot. A notorious monster. <laughs> it should be a cartoon on Adult Swim. It's been in development for a year or so. Mm. I guess it was a thing they wanted to do. Okay. All right, so that's that. <sighs> Bring me something good, Shannon. <laughs> We're going to go on to your, your topic. You wanted to talk about I want, something. I want them to bring back, like, Scooby-Doo. Oh, okay. That's my favorite. I mean, if I didn't know I loved true crime at that time, I was obsessed with how they solved those mysteries. Yeah. It's a puzzle. I mean, most Mm. of society likes a procedural, right? Like likes to solve the puzzle of the crime in 50 minutes. (laughs) And even funner with Scooby. Well, Scooby, I've actually never really been into like a lot of the CSI shows. I really could care less. And I think people are surprised by that because of my area of focus, but I am actually really bored by the 50 minute solving. It was just, I loved the, well, we were kids. I mean, yeah, but it was just the whole gang and the old animation and, and they had like Dick Van Dyke and mama Cass on, mm-hmm. you know, it was like so they'd share mm-hmm. Sonny and share. Anyway, I could go on and on about Scooby-Doo. Okay. Um, get serious. So we, I'm about to, <laughs> okay. so we talked a little bit about competency, mm. uh, on Wednesday 
and just around the the different ways in when people go to court around mental health issues mm-hmm. um how are these evaluated how much does someone's personality characteristics emotions and all of that play a role or do we just stick to a certain legal agenda without any oh okay flexibility so this article is called um Presentations explored law and emotion, psychopathy, and a comparison of prison systems in different countries. So this first part is about how much emotion, how much the role of emotion should be allowed in court. Mm. So the role of emotion in court, basically. And um, Aviva Orenstein, who's a law professor, discusses the role of emotions in court. And she talks, this is in Amsterdam, July 14th, 2019. So it's fairly new. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a conference that's held like every year, every other year, excuse me. So she says emotions cannot be separated from cognition, which is very true. They're very related, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Although I'm not necessarily CBT oriented, I do use aspects of it because emotion and and thought are very related in how we perceive um, things that have happened to us, especially based on prior life experiences, trauma, things like that. So what she was discussing was how, you know, when is too much emotionally charged evidence, unfair prejudice, and when is too, too little emotion, incompetent lawyering. Mm -hmm. And so what comes up for me is some of the work that I do, um, right now, which is implement, helping attorneys understand cycles of emotional abuse, narcissistic abuse, which you even bring up the word narcissist, narcissism in court, you'll get thrown out as a, an expert witness. I cannot use that word when I'm testifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and also around battered women syndrome. These have often been two emotionally charged um things that are topics that have come up in court where the court will automatically shut it down to the point where um, I've, I've met with women who went through divorce court and their husbands were pathologically narcissistic and they lost their children over. I'm speaking to a woman right now who's actually written a couple books and she's fantastic. And she talks about her experience with the, the law and how it completely undermined everything she went through. So she goes on to say that rather than seeing emotion as a necessary intrusion on the thought process, cognitive psychologists have demonstrated that emotion is an integral part of reasoning itself, and thus emotion cannot be separated from cognition. So for me, from a feminist theoretical perspective, which I use sometimes, is emotions are feminine. Femininity is historic uh, is is historically seen as a weakness and tied to hysteria. So if you really broke break it down that way, the role of emotion in therapy, I mean, excuse me, the role of emotion in law and in the courtroom has often been undermined and completely dismissed. I can imagine. So I don't know, what are your thoughts? Uh, it's tough. I, I mean, you, you know, you get kind of stuck so one thing that comes to mind when I was listening to you is that it's in line that in court you can't use the narcissistic word, right? They, they get very upset with it. Well, and that's interesting to me it, to extrapolate to a little bit of my, my experience is that I haven't ever worked for anyone who diagnosed personality disorders mm-hmm. and, and, Although I feel pretty competent in doing that, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's something that in our field, if you don't know this, in our field, it's 
it's very difficult to do in an agency setting or in any kind of assessment because it's it's kind of the field standard that you can't you you're not supposed to diagnose a personality disorder you know in a in a two or three meeting type of thing mm -hmm. it's supposed to be something you diagnose over a very long period of time and often we're in these settings where it's it's a short-term assessment and you can't give a personality disorder and i'm wondering if that's why in the court it's, um it's just they're sort of saying like you you can't possibly mm, know that or is it that because it's too much of a human I, science I, for them i think it's both and i think that where and this this is a whole other discussion because it's not just around narcissism. I know. Sorry, it's the thing I thought. No, of it's okay because it, it, I brought it up, which is um, I think what we have to um, stop doing. And the APA really hates people like me who say I don't need to have the narcissist in the room to know that my client was emotionally abused, and I don't even really need to use narcissistic personality disorder, a toxic person is a toxic right. person. And I think that sometimes we really get caught up on like this textbook DSM criteria BS when fine, let's not use that word, but we also have to recognize that there is a cycle. And when you meet with someone who has been a victim of this, they present very differently than a covert narcissist who's trying to be a victim the life looks like they've been sucked it has been sucked out of them and if you've worked in this long enough like you said feeling competent enough you're really able to tell the difference um it's really i actually think it's really easy to identify a covert narcissist pretty quickly um so i think that it's just the role of emotion i think what it comes down to is we have to recognize the role of emotion in cognition and so I think that also plays into what we were talking about on Wednesday, which is how responsible can somebody be, you know, how culpable m might somebody be to a crime or susceptibility to a cult if we're not looking at emotional maturity or life experience or what has been happening to them prior to whatever they're here for. We actually brought this up on the human trafficking too, mm -hmm. which was the women who became predators after being victimized themselves. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if she, this, this psychologist or this law professor is specifically talking about these things, but she's certainly saying we are doing a disservice to the law, not even to the psychology, to the law if we are not considering that emotion is part of cognition. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because when I hear that, I don't, I can't understand anyone who knows about the brain or about people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't understand how someone could think that we can separate the two. Attorneys. That if you, right? The black and whiteness. Yep. The, the concrete need for Give absolute me an answer. answers. Give, I mean, how many times a, a, an expert witness or a fact witness will go, and this has happened to me before, which they'll ask me for something directly and I'll say, it depends. And they hate that. <clears throat> I know. Are you saying that lawyers would be the best cult members because they're looking for absolute answers? Or narcissists, <laughs> leaders. <laughs> I know lawyers. They're I know. Fi they're no. fine. I know some great, I actually know some really great attorneys that are not and like I'm that. And I'm mostly joking, but what you're yeah. describing is like a need for things to be black and white and to be um, concrete. I and see have this a lot in answers. family law. So, you know. so, I mean, my thought is that if you know anything about the brain, you know that it's a holistic process yes. and that we don't know everything about the brain. Mm -hmm. So we actually don't get to say finite things about the brain very few there's a few things that i imagine are things we could 
know within a 99% whatever. But we don't know everything about the brain yet. And it's I, why we have to use tools like assessment. I I was telling you the uh, that I was likely going to have to testify this coming week. They mm -hmm. ended up settling the case, which I'm really heartbroken over because um, I was really ready for, the, for this one. <laughs> you were, and, you were um, cruising for a fight. Well, the, the, the opposing witness was trying to make a, um, an argument that these children were traumatized and she did not ever look at one piece of, um, not one progress note, not one assessment, previous assessment. She did not know their diagnoses and she did not know their baseline functioning. And I was trying to tell the attorney I was working with, I said, and again, if you're not a psychologist and you don't, she's a licensed uh, clinical social worker. So she's probably not privy to the amount of work that goes into assessments, which is you have to get background information and be looking at that, or you are falling underneath the standard of care. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to look at all the things that have led up to the event, not just what happened after. How do you measure changes if you haven't looked at anything before? And so tying it into what we're talking about is someone's life experience, all the, the little T's or the little traumas and all of that leads up to. And so this event that might be traumatizing is just one more correlational piece, but not necessarily the cause of what we're seeing with these kids. And if she would have looked back at the notes, there was no change. In fact, the kids got better after the event, progressively two years after. Context. We, yep. talk, we talk about it a yes. lot. Psychology, you have to take things in context. Otherwise, we wouldn't have standard of care that has to do with culture. Yeah. And, and a person's culture and how that is an important piece of an assessment. And nobody wants us to take someone's uh, cultural identity out of an assessment. So I'm pretty sure you want to get some context. Absolutely. You know? And I'm thinking, I'm like, this is a licensed clinical social worker who had been in the field for a while. I go, how do you not know how important it is to look at the previous documents? Yeah, I don't. You didn't even know these kids' diagnoses. And then she was claiming it was PTSD. Wow. One to 15%. That's so, yeah, very few people have actual. <laughs> and if uh, I'm not going to disclose the crime because I don't want to, no. you know, but or not, it wasn't even a crime. But I just want to say, like, the event that happened is nowhere near what some people have. And I understand trauma is the response to it, not necessarily the event. But most people who even have gone through war through time, their PTSD will get. But it was just the whole thing. I'm like. Uh, so yeah. no fight for you. No. And the attorney was like, <laughs> oh my God, I was so Damn ready. Match. We're ready to sweep the floor. And I'm like, I know. But, ready for yeah. the victory. Well, I imagine, yeah. I imagine you will get another shot at it and you will have yeah, a, it, he He's like, I'm keeping you. <laughs> I said, okay. You'll have a well-developed argument for the next time. Yeah. <sighs> so I watched uh, Horror Noir, which I talked about a while back on the Shrink Chat show, which is a documentary that's a history of black horror. Oh. And it's on Shudder, and it features interviews with filmmakers and scholars and showcases pretty much a who's who of black horror cinema. Um, those who survived the genre, the genre's past trends to those shaping the future. So, you know, Jordan Peele and then Tony Todd mm -hmm. from Candyman. So, like, a lot of different um, interesting interviews interspersed with clips mm -hmm. and i just have to say it was very very interesting the way that they react to different movies mm -hmm. um the ones that they felt 
you know, they talked about all of the the tropes, like, um, you know, the black boogeyman who's obsessed with the white woman and Candyman type mm-hmm, of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the the sacrificial, they call it the sacrificial Nero back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, like Scatman Crothers in The Shining. There was like a real disappointment in in that character because he's the sacrificial black person in that. Right. Um, in that movie. And like... Oh, there was this one, you know how much I love the Conjuring series. Yeah. And <laughs> that I was like, oh, because Alfre Woodard, um, she's great. she's the woman who sacrifices herself for the white family. Right. Oh, yeah. You know? That's right. And that is, uh, I learned a lot, you know, because I am not a black person. And so I, I, I learned a lot about the different tropes that they... They witness or, you know, Whoopi Goldberg as the magical black woman and ghost, Ghost. Mm -hmm. you know, and that 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 trope from from the conjuring of the the black woman who sacrifices herself for the white family. That's they showed that over and over again with, um, you know, it it seemed to me that one of the the big problems is when um, a character is played by a black actor or actress and that character is only doesn't have needs and a life and a character arc in but is just purely in the movie to serve um protecting the white person mm-hmm. protecting the white people so there was a lot of that and um the sacrificial person and the and the trope of the the black person dies first mm-hmm. Um, they talked a lot about that and on and on. Yeah. So there's a really great website called blackhorrormovies.com huh. that I took a look at that I learned from this documentary and I took a look at that and I read some of the articles and the, the gentleman that runs it is in, is one of the people being interviewed in the, in the documentary. So I kind of followed the, went down a rabbit hole and followed the. I always thought train. it was interesting in the original night of the living dead, how mm-hmm. the black character was actually one of the most strong like it was one of the strongest and yes. most focal yes so they definitely talk about ones that they liked and that were revolutionary yeah because he was one night of the living dead is one of them uh blackula yes and blackula oh screaming they talk yeah. all about that uh tales from the hood yep i remember that. another one mm-hmm. um uh candy man to a certain extent i mean they talk about the tropes but yeah uh, because of the performance and the way it sort of shifted things mm-hmm. Uh, it was sort of a, a mixed bag, mm-hmm. so to speak. And then, of course, Jordan Peele is in it, so they talk about, you know, Get Out and yeah. uh, and on and on. There's there's many more that are mentioned, and it's interesting. And again, I, I can't comment on it as a black person because I am not a black person. But if, for me, it was very interesting to, to just learn. And so I'll also say that then there was an announcement, and I think I might have tweeted this, but... Um, Shudder is also making a documentary on queer horror that's coming out this year. So it's the same people that made this one on the history of black horror. Okay. They're making one on that's um, gonna be queer really horror. Really interesting. Yeah. I've already read some of the articles and seen some of the stuff that they're including and it will be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I was at a, a, a comedy show a while back. I think I have the record, recording of it and he was clearly, you know, there's a lot of gallows and twisted humor and stand up, yes. but he was saying, you know, you can't say that people are afraid of gays and, 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 you know, the audience is kind of waking. He's like, 
you know, because they've never been the villain in a horror movie, you know, and he does this whole thing and he and he goes, he does the whole like, it's not like they go up to the closet and open the closet and he's inside and he's like, boo, <laughs> you know, just this whole thing. Oh, he does it. I mean, I, I'm not giving it even any justice. Yeah. I lost it. It was so brilliantly done. He's like, you know, gay people can't be that scary if they haven't been the villain of it. And he goes, does the whole closet thing. And that's funny. Cause the boo. meme, the meme that I saw with people were talking about it. Uh, one of the memes I saw was, um, or one of the quotes I saw, someone was like, yeah, you know, straight people be saying that we're not, you know, that character's not gay in that movie. And then yeah. there's like a little gif, uh, of the person like just taking a quick sip of yeah. coffee with their finger, <laughs> yeah. with their finger. Like, oh, I've seen that one. The, yeah. I've just seen like, that one. Oh, mm, you yeah. know, awkward. Like you didn't know these people were gay, but yeah, yeah. they'll, um, you know, they're going to talk about sleepaway camp and Jennifer's mm-hmm. body mm-hmm. and high tension. Um, yep. and it's the same people, apparently the same executive producers, I believe. So it's like, uh, Phil Nobile jr. Yeah. From Fangoria and, um, I don't know. I think it'll be super interesting. It will be. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, we talked about the Golden Globes a little bit last week, and I mm-hmm. wanted to mention something on this kind of sort of on this topic. I think there was some I I feel as if there were horror movies that were sort of snubbed. Hmm. And I and I and I looked up some stuff, some performances that I think were really excellent that okay. were not you know, acknowledged. And, and again, I looked up a lot of lists and mm-hmm. sort of took a few that I totally agreed with, which was, um, Lupita, um, her performance in, oh, in, in, in us. us. Yeah. You know, she, I love her anyway. Oh my God. She's amazing. And she plays two people, you know, she plays a mirror of herself. I mean, yeah. How was not, how was that not, that that blows my mind, and especially the Golden Globes, which t- typically yeah. gets the stuff that the Oscars snub. Yeah, you know, like the Oscars will ignore a lot of really great stuff that the Golden Globes pick up on, and so that is actually really shocking to me. Yeah, so that's one that I think every list I looked at had her on it, because and I completely agree. I also think that, um, man. Now I'm going to, oh, Florence Pugh, who plays uh, the main character in Midsummer. Mm-hmm. Her performance is really phenomenal. Mm. I mean, as just an emotional arc, it's, you, you, I mean, yeah, she's, she's amazing in it. So that one's kind of a bummer to me. Um, and even maybe the director of Midsummer and Hereditary, like, I don't, I don't remember if that was a part of last year's, mm, um, I don't know. Golden Globes or not, but you know, it was interesting. I don't think, I, I don't know if you've watched it yet, but the American Horror Story, nineteen eighty. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't either, but a lot of the lists I looked at. So now I'm looking a little bit more forward to it because, uh, you know, a lot of people said a lot of negative things about mm-hmm. the season. I think it's because a lot of the regulars weren't on it, too. Yeah, like they had to get used to it or something, and I yeah. haven't watched it yet because I got behind, and there's so many episodes, I just ain't mm-hmm. nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do want to watch it because 1984, like, oh, that'll be awesome. Yeah, you've got we the talk so Dombers much. and the Ramirez's and all those guys. We talk there, so yeah. much about liking the campy violence, and yeah. I'm sure. But anyway, the lists were talking about how Billy Lord's performance in it uh, deserved recognition. Yeah. So... I don't know. She's good too. She's she's a uh, 
Uh, Ryan Murphy uses her a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's in scream Queens and, um, yeah, she's good. Scream Queens. Yeah. yeah. I just, I thought, that wasn't one I necessarily agreed with because I haven't seen it, but I just I haven't. Thought, wow. I, I actually have to start watching that one because that, that that one, as far as topic wise, mm-hmm. I'm really that that's like '80s slasher serial killer. I mean, for me, that yes, I just I think I, you I'm even asked me it. like, "Hey, are we going to do an episode yeah. on AHS?" I think we have it down the road, down the road somewhere. I think, yeah, it's there somewhere, but it. there's just so much. After we do Ramirez, it might be topical too. So yeah. I can understand that. I believe he's in it. So yes, there are others too, as far as I remember. Um, Are you done with Marianne yet or what are you doing? Oh, I have uh, two more episodes left. So now I've gotten to where it just completely twists. Yeah, cool. So you've gotten to the twist. I've gotten to the twist. That twist. (laughs) um, It's good. It is good, right? Yeah. It's so different and it gives Mm -hmm. me that eerie vibe that yes. I like when I'm watching horror and not the yes. predictable it's been done a million times it's very different it's real horror in it the really sense, is. in the sense that it's, it's pretty terrifying you know we talked about world we talk I talk about world building occasionally and it's like that it's mm-hmm. like I was in it man it's I was I'm, not only am I in it it's not only gory in some ways it's also incredibly psychologically terrifying yeah that's it's it's a combo yeah you 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 so you have to be in the world you also have to be empathically connected to the main character Mm -hmm. which remember i said you're gonna love her she's awesome yeah she's and you were like why and i said because she's kick-ass yeah sometimes i want to slap her but yeah oh for sure because she's like a child like a crazy Attic child. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Like someone yeah. who never grew she's up. A little brat. Got real entitled real fast because mm-hmm. she got, so she, she's a famous uh, but the horror But the actress is really great. Yeah. I just thought you would like her. Yeah. She's good. Um, I do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, <laughs> so you're empathically connected. You're in the world and the story's good. Yep. I mean, what else can and we really. And it scares the Jesus and it's out of you. scary. Yeah. There's some, there's some jump scares oh, man, in there. That, that woman. Were, that I woman. Know, she's so creepy. Oh. <laughs> the bad woman, the possessed woman. See, I like possession stuff. Yep. It, she's she's yep. really scary. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm glad. Nothing else for you on what you watched, yeah? No, I mean I'm I continue to watch all the the shows that are I'm going back. I'm I'm now on season three of Friday Night Lights. I'm totally addicted. I lay down at night and I'm like, what do I want? Now we'll just go back to Friday Night Lights. Yeah, that's I've, another show that you just feel like you're in the world of it when you're watching it. Yeah, I mean, no, we've talked about it before, but I've I've watched that series all the way through like four times. So much psychology in it. So much family system stuff in it. So much mm-hmm. small town culture. And yeah. um, I, I love the 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 episode where. Um, what's his name? The quarterback who gets paralyzed. What's mm-hmm. his name? Yeah. He ends up going off to New York and just cause he's from a small town quarterback and has ever had everything handed to him. And that his best buddy Riggins, who has had to actually work for stuff is the one who's like, you might have to work a little bit harder to get what you want. Try this. Yeah. I mean, the characters are just written, you know, he, and he was so surprised that he didn't get handed this agency <laughs> job. And, but it's I so appropriate that. to that character who would actually believe because small town quarterback who the town has worshiped gets paralyzed and he goes off to New York with all this. Oh, anyone's going to, I mean, he's brilliant. 
Well, yeah, it's, I mean, who, who didn't experience or hasn't known someone that experienced to like, you're the most popular kid in high school and then you go to college and there's 50,000 people right. there and you're just another person. You might still be cute and smart and all that, especially but especially from a small town when you were worshiped. Oh, absolutely. And then devalued once you couldn't play football anymore. Absolutely. I mean, I grew up in a small town, basically. Yeah. My school is very small, so I get it. Like, There's a lot of um, really great character. The, the way that they write the characters, um, I love Tar Tara. Yes. All, I mean, it, it, she's great. It's just, it's well And you watch written. them go through all the different, yeah, it's great. It's well written. It does jump the shark. Uh, I would imagine by season four it does, because I can already start it, seeing you'll, it go you'll there. You'll tell me, you'll tell me, I know the exact moment that I believe it jumps the shark. I mean, okay. it, it, you know, there's episodes that are good or bad. And well, season it three already, to, I'm preparing for a lot of them leaving, and I'm like, where are they going to go with this? So It starts to fade a little bit, and, and yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about like, well, it's not as interesting as it was before, but there's a... There's a moment when it jumps the shark like, for what? me. Okay, <laughs> it just uh, it's an episode. It's an episode we will never do on this show. But I have a thing for um, Western country, small town type of stuff, and I have three or four different. Like I could do a top five, um, like country series. Mm -hmm. um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just kidding. <laughs> Just because I have that. The hills uh, have eyes. Small town Texas in my background. So People under the stairs. I have a fascination. She's just going to keep listening. Them. <laughs> All the inbreds. I'm not talking about horror movies, goddammit. You know, you're talking about Texas. <laughs> Whatever. Sorry, Texans. Calm down. <sighs> Relax. <laughs> and that's our show. Thank you for listening. This is Shrink Chat. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Shrink Chat. If you enjoy what we do here, there are two things you could consider. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media and checking out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or our Facebook page. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thank you.